Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. We're going to pick up where we left off, and now I need you to remind me where I'm at. Um... Did I do Satan's work in relationship to the Gentile nations, or did I get halfway through it? I can't remember. What, what do you think? Okay, we're in Satan's work again to unbelievers. Okay, we did Israel. Okay, did I start it at all? Where, how far did we go? Oh, Okay. That one, Satan sows unbelievers among believers. Well, God bless you for keeping notes, man, because I don't know where I'm at. Um, okay, so um, we're going to pick up a number five, apparently, on your outline. Well, in your writing outline, if you are taking notes. Um, and we're talking about Satan's work in relationship to unbelievers. Okay, so this is a big thing. Number five, Satan sows unbelievers among believers. And the, the famous passage, uh, yes. I did finish five. Well, we got other people that say I finished five. I'm on eight. Six. Six. People are saying six. Six. See, I got a lot of people saying six. Did I, I, I'm on that, I need to start that, did I finish six? Start it. Okay, God bless you. You're on it, man. Okay. Yeah, Satan's working in relationship to... You have, this is Satan's work in relation to believers. This is relationship to unbelievers. So I, did I already get to believers? Okay, Satan's, this is where I guess we left off then. Satan's work to uh, believers. That we, we got further than I thought. All right, okay, Excellent. So then this becomes a very long discussion, in, in, and we're going to take each one piece by piece because it applies directly to you and I and the things that uh, you know, we're warring against. Okay, first thing to note is Satan sifts believers. Okay, <clears throat> The quintessential example is when Peter got sifted. And remember, the Lord knew this would happen and he told Peter, you're going to deny me three times, and um, Satan has desires for you, and he's going to do this, but then when you re return back, when you, you, you get reestablished, you, uh, you'll be able to strengthen your brothers. But it would happen, Jesus knew it would happen, and, and Jesus allowed it, okay? So one of the things about this is sifting is... The Lord will sift you, and which means that he will allow a demonic attack on you. And most people don't think about this because, number one, this subject area is never taught in, in, in most churches. They don't even talk, teach this. But there will be times in your life where the Lord will allow a demon, and it's not probably going to be Satan himself. Satan's dealing with George Soros and Bill Gates and all those guys, Right? <laughs> But it will be um, your, your, uh, the demon that is your tail, uh, a familiar spirit that's been following you all your life, and that demon will be issued, or even a fallen angel for that matter, issued permission to do something to you that God will allow. Just like he allowed Satan to attack Job, uh, just like Jesus allowed Peter to be sifted as wheat, um, in his, in his uh, situation there of denying him, he will allow you to be sifted as well. Okay, so the first thing you have to ask yourself, what's the purpose of sifting? So when you look at, let's just take Peter, for example. Why did Peter need to be sifted 
by the demonic or by Satan himself. What was the problem with Peter? He didn't have a very strong faith, even though he would boast about it. He would boast of how strong he was in his faith and that he was willing to die for the Lord, right? But what the sifting revealed is he wasn't where he said he was at, okay? So Jesus knows that. God knows where you and I are at spiritually. But if arrogance and pride creeps into our walk to where we think we have risen above something, or we think that um, it can never happen to us, and we have overconfidence in our spiritual walk by misjudging where we're at in our spiritual walk, then you will get a sifting. And the sifting is not fun because it's meant to show you where you truly are instead of where you think you are. Now, here's my question. How, do you get to the, how does a believer get to the point that they think they're more mature, more Christ-like than they think, than they really are? How do you get there? Because this is what you want to do to prevent sifting. How do you maintain an accurate perception of your spiritual walk. What is the key on this? Yes. So self-examination. So let me ask you this. On your self-examination, the key in self-examination, because people say, yeah, I, I self-examined, and Brandon, I'm good. I don't, I don't, all those sins you said I commit, I don't commit those, or you mentioned. You, I don't do that. I'm way past that. Really, you're way past that, huh? Wow, okay, you're going to be sifted. That's what's going to happen. So what's happening is the person, the believer, is not honest with themselves. Okay? So they say, oh, I did an introspection, but I'm good, Brandon. I'm golden. Really? And I, th- I do this sometimes in counseling. I say, that let's, let's uh, look at your, your spiritual past. Let's see what's happening. And let's, uh, let's dive into it. And um, they'll tell me, oh, yeah, I, you know, this happened and this, and, and I used to have this problem, but now I've overcome that. Oh, okay, you've overcome it. And I'll say, so you're good there in that area, yeah. Um, so let's then explore this a little bit more. Because I know as a counselor, if they haven't got to the root of the issue, they've just cut off branches, and, they're going, and another branch is going to spout up, sprout up somewhere else from that root, okay? So they'll say to me, yeah, man, um, I'm good on, on not, uh, not looking at pornography. I'm, I'm great, yada, yada, yada. Okay, fantastic. That's good that you're not looking at that. But do you think you can ever be tempted in this area in another way? Oh, no, I got control of it. Really? So if someone hits on you in a bar, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm good. I'm golden. Really? Okay. And then you know what they do? They go into the bar when they're away from home, and guess who they meet? Satan's sitting in the seat next to him, but it's in the guise of a, of a temptation, right? And they fall because they can't handle it, because, oh, I, I cut this branch off, I just don't do that anymore, but then I, I, I'm vulnerable in this area. And the reason they're vulnerable in the other area is because they haven't cured the root problem. They haven't cured the root problem. So um, they, they become arrogant over this area. Okay, so you cut off all your electronics and everything. Um, so do you still lust after women? Or vice versa, if it's a woman, do you still lust after men? And they won't answer. I see, so the problem is, it's not you turning off electronics. The problem is in your heart. And if you haven't fixed your heart, don't boast that you've overcome this sin because it's a heart issue. And until you work on the inner self, uh, the soul, the, the belief uh, aspect of you, you have really not overcome. Now, 
let's say someone legitimately has been working diligently on their root issues or their heart issue, and they've done a pretty good job of getting that squared up, and they're like, okay, I'm good. Does that guarantee that they won't fall anymore? No, it does not. It makes them less vulnerable, but Satan knows, given the right situation, the right environment, the right, you know, everything that encircles the person, if I put them in that right environment, they will, they will go for it. And the only really thing that's keeping him from doing that to you and I is God's protection in that. Because in temptation, he puts a boundary on temptation by demons and fallen angels and Satan himself. That, that is the one thing, you know, people misuse that passage in 1 Corinthians 10. They said, well, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not what it says. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's the actual text. So that there's, there's, there's a barrier on your temptation that prevents Satan from going full throttle and, and guaranteeing your fall. So God holds it back. And then God also then will make it a way of escape in the middle of the temptation and you will see another door so that you have a choice in the matter and you're not gonna be overwhelmed. Okay, that being stated though, God can lift the barrier if you keep thinking wrongly about where you're at spiritually. It's just fine. Brandon, you think you've reached this point that you're impervious, that you can't fall? I'll pick up the barrier and then Satan will go right at it. And I will show you that you will fall in that area. So even if you get healing, you're still gonna carry scars. And those scars are a weakness, okay? And it's, it's a weakness that you have to guard for the rest of your life. Yeah, you might be strong in other areas and that's great, but you'll, be, you'll typically be weak for the rest of your life in those areas that you were hurt in. And that's where you have to build your, your defense. That's where you put the spiritual armor on to protect that vulnerable area. Um, because it is there. Even though you've strengthened it and done your, done your best, it's still gonna be an area of weakness. So my point is, don't get arrogant about your ability to have victory right now. Because you have to face it like tomorrow, I can be hit in this area. Or I can be hit in another area that I didn't know even existed was a weakness of mine, thinking that I've got all everything figured out. And what you have to realize in your spiritual walk with the Lord, for you to be, for you to have integrity where you're at, is that every day you must check yourself where you're at and you must honestly do the evaluation each and every day of where you're at, okay? And with that being said, you need to understand that the process of sanctification is like peeling an onion. He's gonna peel one layer here and you think, okay, I got that, and then what he's gonna do is turn around and say, I'm gonna peel that layer. And then he's gonna turn and peel that layer and then peel that layer. He will do it one at a time, okay? And he will not go any further until you've mastered or somehow had victory in this other peel. So he peels that one area and he will let you stay there until you have victory or at least can deal with it, okay? And guard yourself. Not, and vi understand victory doesn't mean, uh, you know, this is not an area weak, it just means I, I don't do that anymore. I, I'm beyond that, but I can do it if I'm put in the right situation, okay? So once you have that, then you move to the next peel and you deal with that. <clears throat> and if you don't figure that one out, you'll stay there and you'll stay stuck in your spiritual walk until you figure that one out. And so the key is you, you need to pe keep progressing, but the only way you can progress is keep peeling the onion and dealing with everything he continues to show you on a daily basis. That right there, as, as, as humbling as that, as that is, keeps you in perspective. Because just because you have victory here doesn't mean you've mastered the sin nature. It just means you've got that area figured out, and now it's time to move on to another area. So you're never done. And so that understanding that you're never done, you're never complete, you're continuing to press on, 
actually keeps you in reality with yourself and keeps the integrity going. It's when you think you figured it out and then, oh, he's not testing me anymore. He's not giving me anything else to work on. That's when you get in trouble. And you think all those things are behind you. Well, I don't struggle with that. Okay, great. But I, I know how he works. So what's the next challenge he's got with you? Do you know what you're working on right now with him? You see what I'm saying? Like right now, everyone in this room, he, he has revealed something to you, and he's saying, I need that fixed, Brandon. I need that fixed. And once we fix that, I got a bunch of other things I need you to fix. And it never ends. And so if you're not tra tracking like that with the Lord, you're gonna get sifted. Because the only way to bring you back out of this unreality of thinking you've mastered everything is to let Satan have his way with you and show you, I will put you on the floor, Peter. I will put you, oh, you want to die for me? I will put you on the floor. A little girl will come and challenge you, and you will say, I don't know the man. And you will call down a curse when you say that. You will swear by the Lord that you don't know Jesus. And so that's, that's a scary thing, right? But that's how sifting works. And so sifting works in the area, typically, where you think you're strong. So you think, I got this one. I'm good. I've mastered it. And if you think like that, that's where the sifting will come from. Sifting comes from arrogancy over the issue. And that's what Peter's issue was. He sifted because of that. So, so celebrate your victories. No doubt about that. Celebrate your victories, that God has given you victory. But be very humble about that victory because the point is, given the right situation and the right temptation and no restraint from the Lord being put on you, you'll fall. And that's what you just have to acknowledge in your life. That's how weak I really am. And, and the, weakness, the admitting of the weakness is an act of humility, and that's what keeps you together. Pride will damage you. Pride gets you out of your mind. Pride makes you think wrong. Okay, before I move on, any questions on sifting? That kind of makes sense a little bit? Okay. So now let's move to Satan hinders believers. And, of course, this is coming from the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians. He talks about Satan tried to hinder him. And what this is about is very important. If God calls you to do something, and I will continue to state this, it's not going to be easy. If things automatically just start lining up, be careful, be careful about that. You might be in a Jonah situation. And in effect, not even know you're running, but you are, because as Jonah set out to do something against the Lord's will, he had enough money in his, in his pocket to pay the fare. He had a boat going in the right direction, away from Israel, away from the Ninevites and, and his enemies. He had himself surrounded by non-Israelis who would never look to him to, to do anything. And he was so secure... He fell asleep because it worked out perfectly, beautifully. I'm going to tell you this. If it is the Lord's will for you to do something, expect opposition. That's where the idea of hindrances come from. You will be hindered. Now, here's the thing. Satan cannot prevent you from doing God's will. He can't. But what he can do is hinder you through discouragement, things not working out as planned, but what does God expect out of you if he says, I've called you to do this, and Satan is putting up roadblocks in front of you? What are you supposed to do? You interpret the roadblocks as not a sign that God has closed the door. You interpret the roadblocks as hindrances. And here's the key on hindrances. Whether you know it's from Satan hindering you or God shutting a door. If God shuts the door, there's no way through it you absolutely won't be, will not be able to move through it. If it's a hindrance, it takes you pushing through it. That it's possible to do the will of God, but you're going to have to push through the hindrance. 
And so what God will show you is, yeah, it's still a possibility, but I want to see how bad you want it. So I'm allowing Satan to put hindrances in you, in front of you, to see whether you truly will follow my will. Because I'm not going to make it easy for you. Now, think about this. The, the, um, what he did with the children of Israel as an example, as they were following him in the desert. And I made this point when we were studying Exodus. But as they followed the Shekinah glory in the Sinai Peninsula out to Nueva Beach and to cross into Midian, as, if you recall, that trail that, that God took them on was a zigzag through the Sinai Mountains. It's a zigzag. And why is that important to understand? Well, it's because he doesn't give them a straight shot to where they can see where they're going beyond the Shekinah. All that Israel needed to do is look to the Shekinah and he was taking them through a windy path and all they could see is the next corner turn and each turn was like a 90 degree angle. And that 90 degree angle or whatever angle it was prevented them from seeing the next stage. And so they go here and all they could see is to end here and then they would have to turn and then they're going here and then turn here as far as he let them see. But the key was follow the Shekinah. I'm not going to show you the whole path. Okay. That is, in effect, a hindrance. Will you follow God not knowing where you're going? Will you trust him enough, because he knows where he's going, taking you, versus will you start complaining, he has left us in the desert to die. We should have stayed in Egypt. Right? That's what they started complaining about. So there was hindrances in the fact that they couldn't see beyond where he was leading them. Okay, that's one of the things about God's lead on your life is you're only going to see the next step on what you need to do. That's all he's going to allow you to do. And if you can't bear with it, you won't follow the path. But you have to be okay with that. And as you take one step, then great. You take that step and then another step is revealed and then another step and then another step and you get there. And and, I mean... through our church history, we have this all, all over the place. You know, we, we, we see this, how are we gonna start up? We have no money, we did. Uh, how are we gonna buy a building? We did, or build a building, we, we did. We, how are we gonna find land? We did. How, but it was always one step ahead, just one step, one step. How are we gonna afford this? I don't know, one step. Just take one more step. And it's a constant reminder that if you can't operate that way, then you will fail in finding the will of God for your life. Okay, that's first thing. Other hindrances, as they're in the desert, other hindrances came up, um, like the lack of water, okay, um, lack of food. All those types of things started popping up, and they were hindrances, but they're intentional. He wanted them to see if they would call out to him for it instead of complain that they don't have something, but ask him for it, and he would give it to them, and he would show it to them. And so a lot of the hindrances will be, um, to back you off, that Satan will put in there, is physical barriers to something. Like, oh man, um, I don't know how we're going to make it on these finances. I don't know how we're going to do it based on the, you know, the amount of money in my bank, or whatever it might be. Um, I don't know how I'm going to find another job if I get fired. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I don't know what's left for me. Those kinds of things become hindrances from actually following the will of God because it makes people afraid. The hindrances make people afraid to push through. And that's why you saw you know, all the stuff that went on for the last few years, of people just simply not pushing through hindrances, but succumbing to fear and being told what to do instead of following God's lead. And so um, the hindrance will, will come. So remember, they won't stop you if you push through. You have to just gut it out and push through. And what that's a sign of is, do you have the spiritual strength and the faith to walk over that hindrance. And if you don't, it'll stop you. And unfortunately, that's what's happening to a lot of Christians right now. There's becoming a lot of hindrances for them in doing the will of God, and they simply won't do it. They just won't push through. Okay. Any other questions on hindrances before I move on? Clear as mud, right? Okay. 
Let's move to Satan gains advantage over believers who allow themselves to be deceived. Now, we can call this a foothold or whatever you want to call it, but there are believers, and this is an example in 2 Corinthians 2.11, of believers who allow themselves to be deceived. Now, how in the world could you allow yourself to be deceived? No one wants to be deceived, I thought. But how does a believer allow themselves to be deceived? That's one, probably. That's a good one. Believing the, the pastor instead of the Bible, right? Lack of discernment. Yeah, but we're, and, and again, let's drill down. Why is someone listening to a pastor that doesn't know what he's talking about? And why is someone having no discernment? Lazy about the word? Yes, they're not studying. They don't read it. Um, it tick, they're listening to messages that tickle their ear. Afraid to question authority? Wise in their own eyes. You're catching on. You're catching on. When people do things like that, they are willfully putting themselves in a position to be deceived. So say someone's a Christian, and, and here's, here's the mentality. I don't need to learn that, that subject in the Bible. That has no relevance to me in my life, guess what? That would be the very area in which they are deceived. That's it. The way the game is played is this. The areas of the Bible that you don't know will be the very areas Satan targets with you because he will prey upon you on your, your, your lack of knowledge of the scriptures. And therefore, people willfully put themselves in a position to be deceived, right? Whether that's a date setting, a goofball, or some idiot on, the, on YouTube that's saying crazy things, um, or, or you know, it's some crazy pastor that says get vaccinated or, or something like that. You know, how come they, they just follow that? Because they don't know God's word. That's the issue. And so, believe it or not, you're supposed to know the whole counsel of God, right? But here's the thing. People go to churches where the whole counsel is not taught. They're going to churches where the counsel is cherry-picked, right? It's not, it, the whole Bible's not being taught. And so the pastor cherry-picks his way through and give them a great message or a motiva motivating speak, uh, speech, but because he refuses to teach the whole council, he set up the whole church to be deceived. And that's why right now apostasy is flourishing because the demons are having their way with people, believers, and they don't know which way is coming or going. They don't know. They don't know critical race theory is of the devil. They don't know that Marxism is wrong. They don't know that socialism is wrong. They don't even know what those things are, right? Because in a biblical worldview, you would know that socialism, communism, all that stuff is wrong. You would know that critical race theory is wrong. You know that Antifa is wrong. Black Lives Matter as a movement is wrong. You would know that based on you knowing the word of God. But if you don't know it, you start practicing it. So this allows people to be deceived. And we're seeing an all-time level of deception. Uh, you know, think about this. It seems to me, and maybe you, it's pr the Bible's pretty clear on how many genders there are, right? I don't take, it doesn't take a rocket science. But why do I, have, why do I continue to see churches with a drag queen pastor? I, 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 you know, what is that? And, and, and the church is full with people listening to them. Or a lesbian a woman being the pastor, that's wrong on two fronts. Uh, or, or a gay pastor, or whatever. Why, what? You know, what is that? What's, that, what's still? I, read, I was reading an article today uh, on Beth Moore and her, her daughter, and both of them are, are theological lunatics, and her daughter's like worse than Beth Moore. And, you know, she's gay-affirming and all this other stuff, and I'm like, think, man, what, what Bible are you guys reading, man? But you know what it really is? They're not reading the Bible. It's just making stuff up. That's what they're doing. So Beth Moore has always been a lunatic theologically, and now she's trained her daughter to be a lunatic, and she's worse than the mom. But what does that come from? I don't know the Bible. As in an example, Beth Moore did a lot of teachings, right? 
Let me give you an example of what she did when she taught. She did what we call theological narcissism in her teachings, and no one picked up on this. Theological narcissism, what, what do I mean? She turned stories into her story, her narrative, and for women's narratives. And, and that's not called deriving the principle and deriving the application. That's called narcissism where they actually put themselves in the story. Like if there's a story about Moses, they're the Moses in the story in that sense. And they're like, that's what Stephen Furtick does at Elevation. They're, they're theological narcissists. How come no one picked up on it? What's your opinion? How come they didn't pick up on Beth Moore? How come to this day, I still argue with women about Beth Moore, as apostate as she has come, there's women that still support her. What's the problem with that? What's happening? They are deceived. They want it to be true. Because then they would have to admit that all of the stuff they've been sitting under is wrong. And what's been put in their head is wrong too. It's garbage. They weren't taught correctly. But no one's willing to do that. So instead, instead of, instead of you know, humbling themselves and realizing, oh my gosh, I was following a false teacher, they argue with me about how wonderful Beth Moore changed their life. Really? Wow, okay. You're gonna go that direction, go for it. But you're gonna go over the hill, over the cliff with her, theologically, because she's jacked up. But as an example, that's an example. They willfully deceive themselves. Now let's move into a more deeper subject, okay? So you have self-deception in theology, but let's do some self-deception about how they're functioning as a believer. Let's move into that realm. Many believers have the notion that how they're functioning in their walk with the Lord is biblically correct, okay? And they could be functioning in antinomianism, which means, uh, you know, the hyper grace movement, which there's no law, it's all under the blood, you know, you know it's all by grace, and they just sin like, like crazy, right? That's antinomianism. And they think they're practicing the right thing. And then you moved over to the other extreme, the legalists, and they think they're, the, they're doing the right things. How is it that they're self-deceived, whether it's the legalist or the antinomian, how is it that they think they're doing the right thing? Because the, the kind of Christianity they practice is foreign to me and foreign to the Bible. I don't understand what kind of version of Christianity you're practicing. Let me ask you this. What version of Christianity is it when someone's gonna win at all costs and cheat? What version of Christianity is that? What version of evangelism is that? What version is evangel? What kind? I, I don't know it from the Bible. What is that? What does that mean? Why are there Christians that think the ends justify the means? Where, where do they get that from? It's a foreign Christianity. But yet, I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm just saying I don't understand that version that they practice. You want a real world example? I'll give it to you. BCHS claims to be Christian. Their administration, their principals, and their coaches don't practice Christianity in what the Bible says. They don't. It's win at all costs. It's about getting the name out. It's becoming the next Garces. And they don't care what kind of people come into that school. They don't care what kind of teachers come into that school. They don't care what kind of employees they have. And they sure as heck don't care about any coaches that they bring in who start filtering unsaved kids. And they say, oh, we're reaching them. Baloney, you're doing this to win the state. You're recruiting kids from other programs to win the state. That's what you're doing. What version of Christianity is that? As an example, ends justify the means? Oh, we're gonna, we're, gonna, uh, we're gonna evangelize the world. Really, is that what you're really doing? Or are you undermining the very thing you say you stand for? You get what I'm saying? I wanna know that. Am I crazy? But I'm seeing Christians practice their form of Christianity, and it's not. 
but they think they're practicing it. And this is the problem, right? You, you, you go out in, into this world and you're dealing with Christians and they're like, dude, you're like on another planet. I don't know how, what you think like. How is that Christian? You know, and, and I don't know, I, maybe you guys have examples of this, but I, I, don't, I don't understand. I don't understand a Christian that claims to be a Christian and runs a business and cheats people. I don't get that. What version of Christianity is that? Well, you know, business is business. Really, business is business. That's how you work your world. That doesn't make sense to me. But what's happened is, it's this. He has gained advantage over them because they are self-deceived. And they're self-deceived about how they run their life. Their life is a disaster, and they really think it's, it's okay. And what would be the measure of, of knowing whether or not their lifestyle is okay with Christ? Well, what would be the measure? How would you measure that person? How would you measure yourself? You measure it to the word of God. Is the person violating scriptures and principles in their daily life? And by all accounts, when you look them from the outside, I'm not judging their heart, I'm judging their actions. By their actions, they prove to me that they don't, pra- they don't understand Christianity at all. Just by their actions. Now, I'm not trying to be judgmental, I'm just looking at their works. Their works do not prove to me that they are discipled. I'm not saying they're not saved, I'm saying they're not discipled correctly. So this is how people get deceived. And this is why then when you come to them and you're given a truthful version of Christianity and you're living a true version of Christianity, that's why they get mad at you. That's why they hate you. These other Christians, they do. This is why they talk about you behind their back. This is why they say all kinds of nasty things about you. You know why? Because your lifestyle is convicting them and the truth that you're giving is convicting them and they can handle it. So it's better just to write you off with an ad hominem attack and let it be there instead of getting into a theological discussion about how they're living their life versus how you're living your life. And again, this again comes back to deception. Now, let's do number four. Satan beguiles some believers as he did Eve. Now, the idea of beguiling um, goes to how Satan was able to twist Eve up into a theological pretzel. How was he able to do this? Well, when you study what happened in the garden, the first thing he did is instill doubt. He instilled doubt. And that's the first mechanism that will happen to you. Now, I'll tell you where the doubt's gonna hit you. Because I get hit like this on like uh, almost a daily basis. The doubt will be who you are and the doubt will be what you do. Your identity and what you're doing. And so the devil will whisper into your ear, who do you really think you are? Do, do, you're not this, you're not that. You're just some podunk kid from Delano. What are you doing? Why don't you go back home to Delano? where you belong. And then he'll hit you on what you're doing. You're crazy, man. No one likes you, everyone hates you, right? You're nuts. Why don't you just just give up, man? It'll all be over if you just give up. They hate your guts. You don't have any friends. I have friends. But you, you, you get what I'm saying? They're gonna attack your identity, who you are, and Satan's thing is, you're not who you think you are. You're not who you think you are. Now, what, what I'm going by is what God has told me about myself, my, right, my, my biblical identity, but he's trying to challenge my biblical identity. You're not that. You're not a new creation in Christ. Go back to Delano and shut your mouth. That's the war that's going on inside my head every Saturday. Every Saturday, it hits me every Saturday. You're not who you think you are and you don't know what you're doing. Give it up. You're wasting people's time. 
They're not benefiting from anything you say. You really think you're following the will of God? If it was so, then, then why do so many people hate you? You get it? I'm sharing that from my own life to tell you, he's coming after me, he's coming after you in the same way. Doubt your identity, doubt what you're doing for the Lord. He's gonna come to any one of you. You shouldn't be, uh, Jim, you shouldn't be trying to lead the, the building program. What are you thinking? You're hurting the whole thing. No, that's what he's gonna put in Jim's head. Or he's gonna talk to one of our Sunday school teachers. What are you thinking by teaching one of these kids? You can't even get your own life straight. You're crazy. Why don't you tell Brandon to stop and tell him what you're doing behind the scenes? That you don't know what you're doing. That you don't, you, you, that you, you, you're doubting your call. Why don't you tell and quit right now? And let's, let's get this out of the way and quit wasting people's time. He will do that to all of you. Those are the two areas. You have to understand that's how he starts putting doubt in you. Okay, that's just first step. Once he's got you doubting who you are and what you're doing, let me slip in this. And what's the next thing he does? Deny. Deny. You go from doubt. Did God say... Did God say, Brandon, you're this in Christ? Did God say, you're supposed to do this? Did he really say that, or you, did you misunderstand him? I think you've misunderstood him, and you are not remembering correctly what he said to you 30 years ago. Your memory has slipped. That's not what he called you to do. And what did he do to Eve? Did God say... And then he comes back with a denial. What was the denial? You won't die. You won't die. And so then, then once I get the person beguiled by doubting, then I slip in the, the, the denial. And, what, and the denial could be anything, man. It could be anything about yourself and about your call. And, and the denial will be, God didn't call you to this. You're wrong. You totally mistake, you, you misunderstood. He didn't say that. This is all in your head. You're making things up. You're creating a reality that's not true. He never said that. And then all of a sudden, there's a flat out denial in what you're doing and who you are. You're not that. You're not that. And, and at that point, if he's got you that far, he can take you to the tree and tempt you to take that fruit. That's how he starts. That's how he beguiles people. Doubt, denial, tempt. And once he got you in, in, in those areas, he can slam you. Because you're already doubting, you're already denying, and then you're beguiled. That's the concept of being beguiled. So here's the advice. Stop it when he does the doubt. Stop him when he does the doubt. You okay, so he's denying who you are? Go back to your identity in Christ, right? Denying what you do? Go back to your call. And some days, the only thing you will have is your call. That's it. The only thing you will have is that's it. That will sustain you. What, were you called to do this, right? Whether that's one of our associates or it's Jim. Jim, were you called to help Rock Harbor with the building? Yes, just affirm that again. Affirm that in you and tell yourself that truth and the doubts stop. But you have to do it. If you sit there and are passive, guess what will happen? And you're not fighting back, it starts working on your head. And you can't be passive in it. When the doubts start, you have to confront it with truth. And people, unfortunately, let the doubts keep going on and on and on and on, and then they get into a funk. And they'll call, I can't make it today, man, I'm sick. And it's because their head's in a funk. They don't know who they are. They're confused. They're messed up. And, and honestly, man, that's, that's when the devil is working on somebody. Okay, any questions on beguiling? That's the concept of beguiling. Okay, um, Satan buffets believers. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. 
they're really doing what God wants them to do. For instance, um, uh, I, I'm going to mix with some people in Utah that are real estate investors, and they've taught me a lot, but they're all Mormons, and they really believe that they're doing the right thing and yep. by following that. And I, I guess the hardest thing for me to try to understand is the fact that if the Bible is written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors in three different languages, and it has unity, which shows that these people were inspired by God to write what they wrote. Yeah. And then you have the Book of Mormon, which has no <laughs> unity with the Bible at all. Right. And the guy that started it had 34 different wives. Why could someone be so deceived and to follow that? That's a good question. And, and you think about um, that kind of concept um, of them thinking, like, for instance, like Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, right? And, like, in the temple wedding, they actually speak to Lucifer behind the veil. It's, it's so satanic, man. It's, it's satanic, right? So what happens then is that's not what's convincing them. It goes way, way deeper than, you know, yeah, well, they, they know about the polygamy. They know that in the back of their mind that's not right. But really what's getting them is that the Mormonism or the Mormons came to them at a point in their life when they were desperate and were there for them. And that bond that, that was created is not a theological bond. It was a helping bond. And because of that, they're stuck forever until they understand that, yeah, they might have helped you, but they're theologically going to hell. But they, that's, that's where it started. And that's why the Mormons and the Jehovah Witness really capitalize people down on their luck. They really are good by picking them up. They'll give them a job, and they get them locked in. But it's the relational bond rather than a theological bond. That's and so by the time a relational bond is set, they, they'll believe anything. They don't care because they have the relational bond. It's just like, let me give you another example. Um, when, let's say you have a teenage daughter that's dating and she brings home Dracula to you, okay? And, and, and she says, this guy's great, man. He, you know, and he, I love his fangs and I love his cape and he's wonderful. And you're looking at his parent like, what are you, out of your mind? What are you, what are you crazy? Well, the problem is she's already established an emotional bond with him at school, and no amount of criticism that you give to him is going to change her mind. You're going to have to let him burn her. And, and, and so it's very tricky, but you're hitting on a good point. It's, it's a, a, the way to attack that is attack the relational bond and the emotional bond instead of the theological, because it doesn't matter at that point. They're bonded to each other. And, and so, um, but that, that is Satan's way of deceiving people, is to establish an emotional bond. Now think about this. Go back to the Garden of Eden as an example. What Satan was doing to beguile her is he created a relationship with her, didn't he? In a very short period of time. And what was his, in that relationship, what was he emphasizing to her about himself? That I'm Satan, I'm gonna take you down? What was he, what was he pretending to be? I'm just, I'm just here to help you, man. I'm just here to be your friend. I'm gonna tell you the truth because he's not, he's holding out on you, but I'm here to tell you the truth, man. I'm for you, dude. Satan is clever, that clever in establishing relationships because the first thing that people want to hear is, are you for me or against me? The first thing he establishes, I'm for you and I'm watching your back and we're going to take this to a different level. Oh, you're my friend? You see what happens? And then I, I start trusting. So what you'll see in, in the occultic world and cult world is people be, will be attracted to the relationship rather than the practice. So for instance... How would someone be attracted to Anton LaVey? Right? Who, who in the world? Oh, it's because Anton LaVey knew how to have relationships with people. That's why. And he would attract them through the relationship, and then they would be full-blown Satanists. Where am I at? Gordon. Yep. That, that's, that strategy, though, of building relationships, that's what we should be doing? Yes, with the truth. 
So, so Satan is smart enough to know what we're supposed to be doing and he mimics it. And if the church doesn't do it, he steals them through relationship. How many people do you know that their son and daughter grew up in a Christian home, right? And, and then went off and married some person or whatever that wasn't or was a, a cultist or whatever, or you know, whatever. And you're like, wait, wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why did that happen? Why was it someone able to steal my daughter or son away that's, that's you know, in a cult or, or whatever? How, how did that happen? Relationship. But the relationship goes both ways. Someone established a bond where a bond didn't exist. You see what I'm saying? There was a lack of bond somewhere, a deprivation in the person's life, and here comes Joe Blow, it doesn't matter who it is, and Joe Blow knows how to create relationship, even though you could be lost as a ball on high weeds. A lot of these people know how to create a relationship, and they create a relationship to someone that's in a deprived mode, and boom, they pull them right away. So it's a two-way street. The lack of relationship in the home is sending the person to look for a relationship, and it doesn't matter which, what, what person comes. Does that make sense? Again, it's not always, it's, it's a general statement. It's not always that way. You could have a cane on your hand. You know what I'm saying? And Cain's just going to do what he wants to do. But sometimes it's because of the deprivation that's going on in the home. Lack of a father, lack of a mother, whatever. Yeah, <clears throat> Pastor, I was just going to say, our relationship with Jesus in prayer life yes. should be going 24-7 for our Amen. children. That relationship should override any relationship. Amen. It should. Because you're going to need his help to be the parent he set you to be. Amen. And think about this, Paul, to add to it. So you, 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 you do as if everything as a parent, but you're going to a church that doesn't teach deep theology. The youth group, um, you know, is, is just playing around most of the time, you know, uh, not studying the Bible. So they don't have that stronger relationship with Jesus, like you're mentioning. You've got to have that. And if they did, that would ward that off. But because of their lack of, of, of relationship with the Lord, that's how they get pulled out. Well, he likes Jesus too. Yeah, but he's a Mormon. Well, he says he believes in the same Jesus. If that girl or that guy knew their theology, they would say, I ain't doing anything with a Mormon. That's a cult. But you, Paul's making a good point. It's that, that relationship with Jesus that, that's the capstone in all of it, too. Where am I at, Brett? Brett you're good? You're good there? Okay. Um, let's then save the Satan Buffett's believers for next time, okay? Um, so uh, let's take a five-minute break, and we'll come back and do current events, all right? Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.